Each year, the Portland Business Alliance and the Value of Jobs Coalition take a close look at the state of our economy. This year's report puts a special focus on two of the region's most pressing issues, housing affordability and homelessness, and how the two are intertwined. Today, we'll look at what's working, what isn't, and what it all means for the future. From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Over the last 10 years here on Straight Talk, we have looked at a report card on how the region is doing economically and how our citizens are doing when it comes to jobs and income. The report is called The Value of Jobs. It's a collaboration between the Portland Business Alliance and the Value of Jobs Coalition. And they found in the decades since the Great Recession, we've made big gains. But despite record income growth and historically low unemployment, many are still struggling in part because of a lack of affordable housing. And that's a special focus of this year's report, housing affordability and its link to homelessness. Here to break it all down for us and tell us what it means for you and the future of the region, welcome to my guests, Andrew Hone, the president and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, John Taponia, president of Echo Northwest, and Michelle Neese, CEO of DHM Research. Welcome to Straight Talk, it's nice to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's start with that impressive economic expansion our region has seen. John, in a nutshell, describe what we're seeing. Yeah, so we are now in the 11th year of a U.S. economic expansion. So everybody out in the audience, this is the first time that's happened in American history. This is the longest expansion ever. You can go back to the Franklin Pierce administration. You can't find anything any longer. Uh, and Portland and Oregon tend to do well during expansions. We tend to boom when things are good and we tend to contract hard when things aren't. And this has been a nice long run and it shows up in just about every one of our numbers in terms of uh, jobs created, uh, incomes uh, at the household level and in increasing incomes across the spectrum. Uh, for households of different races, et cetera. So it's the longer it goes, uh, hopefully the better it gets. We're really in uncharted territory, aren't we, Andrew? Absolutely, and uh, 23,000 jobs created last year alone, $165 billion of gross domestic product right here in the region. Uh, this is an economic heavyweight by, by any measure, and it outdoes its peers across the nation and the nation as a whole. So if you think about it, uh, Portland is one of the most competitive places from a business perspective, from an employment standpoint. We are truly um, charting a new courses here, economically speaking, and it's broad-based too. It's a very diverse economy. It's rooted in manufacturing. We, we still make things here. We add value to products and we ship them internationally and are really at the table on trade in a big way. And so you look at this economy, there's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to be proud of. And, and I often hear this and we talk about it a lot that Forbes rates this as the fifth best place to do business in the country. And I think the data speaks to that point and and we should all be proud of that and our businesses are doing a great job employing folks and and putting money in the economy there's a lot to celebrate but michelle not everybody is benefiting that's right in this expansion i think what's interesting is despite the longevity there's softness in how people feel about it there's a hesitancy in their own feelings about their personal economic situation and in fact we found one in four feel like they're worse off than they were two years ago 
And we're going to break down the good and the bad. So let's start with some of the good data, and that's the median household income. And I know when you've been here before, we've talked about how we've lagged behind some of the rest of the country and some of our peer cities. Not this time. Portland's MHI, or medium household income, had the largest increase of any metro in the top 100 since 2010, jumping from 26th to 13th overall. Today, our region's MHI is on par with cities such as Austin and Salt Lake City. John, why have we seen this? big jump. Well, it, as I said, uh, when when the country's doing well, Portland does exceptionally well, and we benefited from that. Uh, so we have had uh, good growth. We've had uh, a lot of folks moving into the, re in, into the region. Uh, certainly in the middle part of the decade, uh, we, we had a lot of that. People vote with their feet, and they voted for Portland. We had, over this uh, decade, an eight percentage point increase in the share of the population with an associate's degree or higher. So we've had a, a sizable increase in, in terms of uh, educational attainment. And those folks are coming here and they're getting uh, good paying jobs uh, when they do that. Some of that in the tech sector uh, in, in, in Portland. So the, uh, you know, that median household in, uh, income indicator is an important one. If you sort of line all the households in the region from the very poorest to the very richest, it, it's an indication of the one in the middle. Uh, and so that middle has been moving up, and so that's very good news. You contrast that a little bit with the average. So if Phil Knight were to walk onto this set, the median income wouldn't change that much, but the average would change tremendously. Uh, Portland doesn't tend to do as well on that average number because we don't have a lot of really highly compensated people at the top. We do have Phil Knight. Uh, but we don't have a finance sector like they do in New York or Boston. Uh, and we don't have a lot of corporate uh, headquarters, and so consequently we don't have a lot of that C-suite salary, nor do we have a lot of hiring of management consultants and advertisers and lawyers that, would, that come along with all that corporate uh, activity. So the average story still lags some of those big superstar cities like Seattle, uh, but that median uh, income story is a great one. And, and more great news, the employment growth. And we have another graphic that shows the employment growth going up and, and peaking for people listening on podcasts. It peaks in 2015. Andrew, how would you characterize the employment, the employment growth we've seen? I mean, it, it's, it's just broad-based, it's long-running, and it's delivering that wage growth that we're looking at. At this point, we're experiencing some of the lowest unemployment that the state has ever seen. Uh, and that's done uh, what, what John's been alluding to and talking about is that has been putting upward pressure on wages and that's a good thing for our region. Uh, and so what you're seeing is, is this consistent growth over time is a highly talented workforce. And so this is, this is nothing but good news for residents that are here. And we are benefiting from a demographic trend that is positive for this region. We are diversifying. We'll be adding likely a sixth congressional district, which is great for Oregon uh, in terms of our federal polls. So you, you look at all this information on an employment basis and it's good and uh, it should be celebrated. There, and we've talked about this before, though, there all are racial disparities when it comes to how well our citizens are doing. We have another graphic that shows that African-American and Latinx households, this is, these graphics come from your report, are still at the bottom when it comes to median household income. John, is this improving at all? Well, it is Im I improving. So you see some gains in the Latinx households beginning two or three years ago and a bit of an uplift uh, in the most recent years for African-American households, but still huge gaps. 
uh, $35,000 of, of household income gaps between white households and uh, African-American households, so still too big. The best news of those graphs is, is that lift, and, and th as this expansion has continued, it has been more exclusive. Uh, so in those first few years of the recovery coming out of the Great Recession, you saw more gains in the middle and the higher income households. The longer this has gone, uh, the more that recovery has reached all households and been more inclusive. And you can see it in the posture of the, of the Fed as they think about how they're governing this. They always have to have this trade-off of, of inflation uh, risk uh, versus a recession. And they're erring on the side of, of, of the worker in those lower income households right now, saying we really see the benefits of this continuing. So we're gonna to try to make it last as long as we can. I, I wanna go back to something that Michelle said that not everyone is benefiting in a poll that DHM did earlier this year of about 518 uh, voters. And while the majority of those surveys said they're, they're living comfortably, the troubling news is is one in four say they're either just getting by or finding it difficult to get by and nearly a quarter of them say they're worse off than they were two years ago how do you explain that tell us more about this poll michelle well um part of it is related to the idea of lifting who's being lifted up right and so we know from our analyses that some of those people who are having difficulties are more likely to be people of color and more likely to be people with a high school education or less. Um, so I think part of what's being left behind is how are we bringing along people who don't have that college degree um, and finding you know, wage growth at that end of the... Because wages are a problem too, right, when you compare the cost of living and cost of housing. For sure, and for people who are finding it difficult to get by, cost of housing is their top concern, right? And so, and I think making that link between cost of housing and homelessness is mm -hmm. part of what uh, this work is about to try to show that we have to address the housing cost to help everyone. And that is a special focus of your report this year is housing affordability. So John, why, people ask, why is it so expensive to live here? Why is it so hard to afford a home? Yeah, and the simplest uh, explanation is we didn't keep up with the demand. Uh, so economists are all about supply and demand. Uh, between 2010 and 2018, we built in this region eight and a half housing units for every 10 new households created. Uh, either people moving in or maybe youth moving out of their parents' basement, et cetera, creating a household, et cetera. Well, you know, housing markets are a little complicated and there's different geographies and kinds of housing, et cetera. But if you underbuild to that extent for that amount of time, you're going to put upward pressure on housing costs and rents. And that's exactly what's happened here. And it's happened up and down the West Coast. And so consequently, you see. This, this affordability crisis. And this is a quote from your report. It says, despite historic economic expansion, our region has produced the fewest housing units over any 10-year period since World War II. John, why didn't we keep up? Why didn't we build more? You know, some of it coming out of the Great Recession had to do with capital markets and developers having the, the opportunity and the, and the income uh, or the capital to, to actually build some of those houses. But the further you got along, uh, some of this is just a hesitancy and, uh, and the pace of, of development uh, and government's response to it. You've got an awful lot of urgency around building houses, 
uh, or housing, you might get the community to say that. But when you say, I would like to build that housing in your neighborhood, you get some pushback. And uh, so what, what we would argue uh, from where we sit is the housing market is over-regulated. There are too many rules that slow down development. And that regulation, which is sort of being deployed through local government and at a neighborhood level, is at the wrong place. Uh, you have too much power in the, in the hands of individual neighborhoods to sort of slow processes down or to change rules in such a way that it makes very some of the neighborhoods probably push back on that but I want to look at well I'm sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> I want to look at some key numbers from your yep. report that really drive this home 23% our region has produced 23% fewer units compared to the US average from 2010 to 2018 23,500, that's the unit shortage of houses since 2010 in our region. 46% of renter households are cost burden. $1,370 is the average rent for one bedroom in Portland in 2019. And 25% owner-occupied households are cost burdened. And one number that really struck me from your report is that there are only 2,500 units in the pipeline to build in the next two years, and, you, and we have this 23,500 shortage. Andrew, that's a big problem. Yeah, it, it should be clear that the if people who are running for office or in office in public entities, if they are not talking about how to accelerate the construction of housing units, they are missing the mark on the single most important issue that our region is facing, facing. broad spectrum, it really is, the issue that every single elected official needs to be putting it at the front of their platforms. And I say that because you'll often see, uh, you know, John does a great presentation on the link between as rents go up, there goes the increase in homelessness and the things that we're seeing in our, our streets. It is the direct causal link between high housing costs and homelessness that we see. That's what's driving it. And so if you're looking at a broad-based solution, you have to dive into this space of private sector development in a way that spurs it as if it is a crisis because it is a crisis and we need to, this is an all hands on deck uh, requirement by our elected officials. So that's the focus of us as an organization the year ahead because it is a business issue, it's a workforce issue, uh, and it's a homelessness issue as well. John, tell me more about this link between housing affordability and homelessness. Right, and so you talked about uh, the, the you know the share of renters or the share of uh, uh, mortgage holders who were cost burdened. Right. So cost burden me would mean that you're spending more than 30% of your income on your housing costs. That's cost burden. There's another standard called severely cost burden. That means you're spending more than half of your income on rent or on a mortgage. Uh, we have counted in the past uh, 56,000 regional households severely cost burden across the region, 56,000. So that's 56,000 households that are one accident away, a job loss, uh, an unforeseen medical bill, a bout of domestic violence, any other kind of accident that if it hits them, they tip over and they're in uh, you know, initially episodic homelessness. They may only be homeless for uh, a month or two, et cetera, but those conditions can snowball and ultimately they may struggle to, to get out of the shelter uh, off of the street. So it's that 
severe cost burden status is the population that you're looking at when you're trying to think about why is my homeless challenge as big as it is. And, and people are noticing in Portland. It, it's hard not to notice. It's, it's visible. You've been doing this polling for a long time, Michelle, and I want to show some polling about top concerns that people have in Portland right. and the metro region. When you did this poll, 30% of the Tri-County area said homelessness is the biggest concern. But for people in Portland, 43% said it was the top concern. And right behind it, it overshadows all of the concerns in Portland except affordable housing, which was, was right behind it, but some quite a bit less than that, at 15%, I think. But tell me about, you've been watching these polls and you've seen them go up. Um, tell me what you've seen about this skyrocketing concern and what it says to you. Well, yes, if we go back just, you know, five, six years ago, homelessness was mentioned by 3%, 5% of people, it wasn't on the horizon as a huge issue, and it just skyrocketed almost, from our perspective, almost within a year, it went from that 3% up to 24%, now it's up to 30%, and in Portland, 4 in 10, which is, um, the way we ask this question is an open-ended way, and it is really amazingly surprising to get 40% of people to agree that this is the top concern for their region because they can say whatever they want. <laughs> um, and so that tells me that there is just a sense of urgency from the public about looking for solutions and looking for something to get done. Um, well, that's a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about possible solutions to both the lack of affordable housing and the homeless crisis, including a measure you're going to seek on a May ballot to fund homelessness services. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Before we get back to our conversation on the health of our economy and how to address the lack of affordable housing, I want to remind you that Straight Talk is now available as a podcast. Just point your camera at that QR code on your screen and that will take you to a link where you can download our podcast. Or just get it wherever you get your podcasts. Search for KGW Straight Talk. Now back to what it's going to take to solve both our housing affordability and homelessness crises. Welcome once again to my guest, the president and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, Andrew Hone, the president of Echo Northwest, John Taponia, and the CEO of DHM Research, Michelle Neese. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. All right, so let's dig into some possible solutions and some policies that might help, that could have some positive impacts on increasing housing production that's affordable and ones that could help people who are homeless. And first, John, one policy that comes to mind, you and I have talked about, it was passed in the 11th hour of the last legislative session last summer, the first one where Republicans walked out, so um, it was a miracle really that this one got passed. It's House Bill 2001 and here's what it would do. It requires cities with a population of 10,000 or more to allow duplexes in areas currently zoned for single-family dwellings within the urban growth boundary. And cities above 25,000 would have to allow duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes and detached cottage clusters. That would uh, include Portland. So how would this help and, and why is this such a big deal, John? Yeah, and this is widely regarded as the biggest housing reform in the country at this point. So we've got people all over the country looking at us and trying to figure out, number one, how did, how did they put this package together and politically, how did they get it to move? I mean, you point out the, uh, the, the, the 11th hour, you had Senate Republicans who were back from Idaho 
having voted for a bill that was originated by this, the Democratic Speaker of the House. So a pretty remarkable bipartisan uh, coalition uh, passed, this, uh, passed this package. Why it's important is that Oregonians, you know, for 50 years have decided that they want a relatively tight urban form. We have an urban growth boundary and we don't want to sprawl in the way that Houston has uh, or other cities like that. So you've, you've made that choice and now we still have people coming in who want to live here. They didn't take Tom McCall's visit but don't stay advice. So people continue to come. If you're going to keep maintain a tight urban form, but you're going to create supply for the people that are going to come regardless of whether you ask them or not, then you've got to build inside that urban growth boundary. And we have an awful lot of land right now inside the urban growth boundary that's locked up in single family zoning. Uh, and so essentially what, what this bill is doing is unlocking that potential to say, uh, at, you know, where there are uh, uh, financially feasible options, uh, and landowners want to make that choice, uh, we can start converting some of these single-family houses and lots uh, into duplexes or fourplexes, et cetera. And Portland ha already has a residential infill project. That would be, they are moving through that process. Uh, they that would be their version to be in compliance with this state mandate. Okay. Uh, so every city that is subject to HB 2001 has to do their own homework. Uh, and get approval from the state. That would be Portland's version of it. So let's talk about the measure that's going to be on the May ballot. It comes to us from Metro. It's something Portland Business Alliance has just endorsed uh, recently. And here's what it would do. Uh, it would help homelessness services. The measure would be a personal income tax, a regional 1% marginal income tax on taxable income, over $200,000 for joint filers and $125,000 for single filers. It also includes a 1% business net profits tax for regional businesses. It would exempt small and medium-sized businesses with sales under $5 million. Combined, the measure is expected to generate $250 million a year for homeless services. And this would be a first ever regional income tax for homeless services. Those higher earning taxpayers that fall into that bracket, I, I've seen posts on Facebook, I've heard people say that the state, the county, the city are always coming back to that well, that the income tax in Oregon for that bracket is already almost 10%, mm. one of the highest in the country. So they're pushing back. Like, why always coming back to that same well? What do you say to them? Well, sure. So I should uh, really get down to the nitty gritty on a few things. Uh, the Alliance came to the table with the coalition known as Here Together uh, to come up with solutions to our most pressing problem, which is homelessness in our region. It's what we see on our streets. Last year, there was a 25% increase in unsheltered individuals uh, in, in the metropolitan region, and it, it is unacceptable. Uh, the uh, issues that we're seeing on our street of needing mental health, chemical addiction services are what are most uh, buried into the, the, the heart of this measure. And to back up a little bit and look at in the rear view, uh, twice now voters in the region have approved housing bonds, both for the city of Portland, for the metropolitan region. Uh, and so the construction of those units of housing are just coming online. They're, they're in the pipeline. We're starting to see the flow of that. So that subsidized construction of housing is happening and, it, and it's accelerating. And that's, that's absolutely necessary. And voters should be commended for stepping up to the table with that. What is missing is the complementary side of that equation. 
yes, you are moving from an unsheltered condition on the street into a home that is affordable. However, if you do not have the services that complement it, uh, it is simply not a recipe for success. This measure is what addresses the wraparound services side of this. Uh, our, our board sharpened our pencils and said, hey, we need to find a find a revenue mechanism that could make this work. It is not ideal. You're absolutely correct. Voters are correct. Uh, this is a high income tax state right across that I-5 bridge to a state that does not have any income tax. So the, the inequity in the taxing structure is a real problem and, and frankly I think we're maxed out there. So this is what compromise looks like and it's not always perfect. Our board will actually take up the endorsement of this in a couple of weeks, whether we actually fully endorse it. But we, we've done as much as we can to make sure voters know it's accountable, that it has real teeth, and that it will deliver the services that we desperately need. So that's, that's our perspective on this right now, and it really helps us solve the services side of this homelessness crisis. Well, as, as we wrap up, we only have about a minute left, but I, I wanted to read a final quote from your report. It says, the magnitude of our housing and homelessness crisis requires bold solutions, community-wide collaboration, political will, and the historic leadership to do what is right, not what is easy. John, just about 20 seconds. Do you have a final thought here? 20 seconds. I, I, I think uh, every community here has to pick a number on housing production, and they have to rally around it and get it done. Nobody wants it in their own backyard, uh, but at some point, people have to accept more units in, the, in this region. We have to get defined numbers and we have to build them. John Taponia, Andrew Hone, Michelle Neese, thank you very much for joining us here on Straight Talk. Thank and thank you for watching and listening. Don't forget to download our new podcast. You can point your camera right at that QR code to get to a link, or just go to wherever you usually get your podcasts and search for KGW Straight Talk. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.